For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. And on this week's episode of the podcast, I talked to Peter Blakely and Eli Holder about their work on equity and inclusiveness in data and data visualization. If you've been following my work for the last year or two, you know this has been a big topic of interest for me. I've written a couple of papers about this particular topic with more that I'm currently working on through the Urban Institute, uh, including uh, two volumes of what we're calling the Do No Harm Guide. So I hope you'll check those out. And I hope you'll check out the blog posts that PETA and Eli have written that I link to in the show notes page. So I hope you'll take a listen to this episode and I hope you'll think about ways in which you can be more inclusive and more thoughtful and more strategic in the way that you talk about and visualize uh, different groups across the world. So here is my conversation with PETA and Eli. Hey, Eli and PETA, good morning. Welcome to the show. How are you both? Hello. Great, thank you. Um, great to have you both on the show. Excited to chat about uh, all the great work you're doing. Um, I thought we would start by some introductions for folks who don't know of you or your work, and then we can get into all the nitty gritty of the content. So maybe Eli, you'd like to start Tell folks a little bit about yourself and uh, yeah. your background. Uh, I'm, I'm Eli Holder. Uh, I, a long time ago, studied computer science in school, did my first kind of scientific visualization uh, research in, in undergrad, uh, got out of school, uh, started a couple startups. One, uh, again, back to, to DataViz, looking at how can we take uh, Fitbit data and, and, and uh, personal health tracking and, and make it less clinical, make it more mm -hmm. motivating, exploring part of the like, the emotional sides of data viz. Uh, and then from there, uh, a, a few miserable years as a product manager, uh, <laughs> working for uh, kind of data-oriented products. Uh, and then 2020 happened. I think uh, we all became a little bit more introspective, retrospective, uh, and, and realized that the data viz side of data and the storytelling and the, the, the psychology of it were, were just so much more compelling to me than, uh, than, than really any, anything else. Um, and so 2020, I started working on my, my own practice, 3IAP, uh, kind of in earnest. Um, and so uh, since then, have been doing uh, client projects around uh, either uh, communicating data, uh, uh, storytelling kind of things, or uh, data products. And, and how do you design both of those in, in ways that are uh, not just informative, but, but psychologically effective that create the, the outcomes that we want to see? And yeah, so that's where I'm at. And and part of that is is uh, I enjoy the work. It's also an excuse to do uh, kind of side projects. Uh, mm -hmm. And this one turned into what I thought would be like a maybe like a two or three week uh, exploration, and and it's now turned into a, a year long research project. Yeah. Um, so, I, that, but that's that's part of the fun. That's 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 why I'm here. You know, it's so, it's so funny because I talked to so many people on the show, and sort of, you know, folks who are in data is kind of gravitate towards computer science because that's you know a lot of the part of making data visualization but like you started with computer science and then kind of like gravitated towards psychology which is kind of like the the other pair of it which is which is pretty interesting um that's great um so peter could you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about yourself and then how you and eli kind of like teamed up on this yeah, on these projects sure. yeah um 
So I am a, I'm an evaluation consultant. I work for mission-based organizations and I help them measure their outcomes. And all of the work that I do has to do with some kind of marginalized or disadvantaged population and is aimed at building thriving urban communities because that's what I care about. So, you know, under that umbrella, there's a lot of youth work, local community development, a little bit of healthcare, things like that. Mm. And I'm often collecting data, right? Creating a visualization and then talking to people about it because the, the goal is always, so how can we use this to do better? How can we run our programs better? And so I had a thought one day about targeted universalism and data visualization. And I thought, how would I set up my data visualizations to support a conversation rooted in targeted universalism. And I wrote a blog post, you know, entirely based on my thinking, <laughs> right? As it's emerging, I was like, here's what I think I would do. And I put it out there. Um, and you picked up on it and Eli picked up on it. It was really exciting. Um, and Eli reached out to me and said, I am trying to implement some of these things you've written about and I'm getting some pushback. And so he, which was great for me, because I had just been thinking by myself about this, and so, yeah. you know, yeah. asking me these questions, he really got me to articulate some of the assumptions, you know, that were in that initial piece. Um, and so we decided to take some of our thinking as it was, it was just getting so much like richer um, through us being in conversation about it um, and write a follow-up blog piece. And, he, and he's really taking some of the ideas that that I had just thought of and he's mm -hmm. starting to create some experiments and actually demonstrate how these things work in the real world and validate some of that. So that's been really, really yeah. cool to see. That's great. So I want to get to the experiment part, yeah. but I want to make sure that folks are sort of on the same ground, I guess, so we're all yeah. starting the same place. So I was hoping that you could start by just defining for folks targeted universalism. Yeah. That's a big phrase. And then, <laughs> and then we'll let, and then I think we need Eli to define deficit framing because that's another big mm -hmm. part of that yeah. main post. Sure. Yeah. So targeted universalism is an approach. Um, I've seen it a lot of, in education, but I think it applies in all kinds of fields where we have one universal goal for everybody and then targeted approaches to help different populations reach that goal. So it's a balance between a universal goal and a universal approach. Everybody gets the same thing. And then mm -hmm. if you don't do as well, well, we gave you what everybody had, right? right. Um, and targeted programs, which focus on particular populations and then some people say, well, this is not fair. Different people are getting fit, different things, like, you know, whatever those critiques are. Um, so targeted universalism says, look, we've got high standards for everybody. And then some populations have specific barriers and we're going to create targeted programs to make sure that they can reach the targets that we've got for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was what was in my head when I started those first set of charts. And so you were thinking about this in the context of um, evaluations, yeah. right? Like, and so you're thinking about if someone, like if a firm or a researcher is doing mm -hmm. an evaluation, how do they, for example, target a particular right. policy? 
Yeah. How do how do they target like particular populations? Could we right. say, hey, are are girls doing really well in this program? Um, you know, do boys have some different barriers to accessing this material? Mm-hmm. Do students who are speaking English as a second or third language have different barriers to getting the best out of this program right. than other people people do? That was the kind of thinking. Gotcha. Um, okay. I think that there was an assumption <laughs> embedded in there that I did not say explicitly in the blog and that like mm-hmm. should be said out loud, which was, I thought that you had to design your data visualizations to support different kinds of conversations mm-hmm. and that people looking at the visualization could have different conversations based on how you design that visualization. That's the important thing mm-hmm. right? Right. That, that I omitted from the, from the initial piece, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now we've got uh, deficit framing sort of, I don't know how they fit sort of together, whether deficit framing subsumes. But anyway, um, Eli is hoping you could give people sort of a a framework for a framework for deficit framing. Uh, So deficit framing is uh, a phrase that that I kind of made up or that that came out of the the paper. It's it's a, a it refers to like a framing effect on on a chart that that leads to uh, deficit thinking. Deficit thinking, I think, is the the, the more common term, mm-hmm. um, and that's it's it's a term that I wouldn't have known about if it weren't for uh, Peta's post. Like I, I just I never came across it uh, prior to this. I think it, it's uh, used a lot more in in the education uh, space, which I'm, I'm not as, yeah. uh, as as close to. Right. Um, but the the what it describes is this this tendency to uh, to generally think about uh, outcomes for minoritized groups only in relative terms to outcomes for uh, for majority groups or for groups with better outcomes. Right. Um, and, and one of the, the kind of main harms uh, that, that comes from it is this tendency to, to kind of conflate the, the outcomes with, uh, with qualities of the people. So uh, to, to blame outcomes on, on the people being visualized as opposed to uh, uh, more systemic reasons or, or more external factors, and so it's it's this, it's kind of a, a nasty form of victim blaming, essentially uh, mm-hmm. that comes out of it. Right. Um, and so that's that's I, I think a, I've been working with a pretty narrow definition of it. Uh, there's certainly more to to that concept, uh, but for for the purposes of, of like how does this work with charts and graphs and and, and data design, uh, I, I kind of latched onto the, the the part around uh, personal attribution and and how certain charts can can lead to that. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think that's really the key thing, right? That, you know, how do we avoid looking at a disparity or a difference and then blaming people, right? Like yeah. Coming up with like all these like racist narratives right. that have always been used to explain different outcomes. Right. Yeah. So, so the example that you sort of anchor both of these posts is, mm-hmm. and I'll just describe it here so folks can get it in their head and I'll let you all dive into it. Yeah. But it's, it's basically the percent of students who achieve some threshold in a, yeah. uh, you know, or a test score. Test. Right. Yeah. And so you've got this line chart and you've got four different lines for four different racial groups, yeah. white students, black students, Asian students, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so the argument that, that you both make in these posts and, and similarly the argument that uh, Alice Fang and I made in the do no harm guide is like, should that be one graph or should it be multiple graphs? And so mm-hmm. I'm going to, so I'm going to leave that as the, context so people who haven't seen it um well they should go read it uh have this like one graph versus these these sort of smaller multiple graphs so maybe pete i'll let you talk a little bit about it and we can just mm-hmm. we can chat through it 
so there were there were two reasons why I thought it should be multiple graphs. Mm. One was in that initial graph, there is no target for everybody. And so you end up with the white group becoming the benchmark. Right. Um, and that centers whiteness in ways that I think are really problematic. Um, the other thing was it leads, I'm obviously reading it as a comparison between the groups, right? I'm going to say, well, yeah, the, the black students are not doing as well for the white students, which just leaves this perfect size space to think something like they're not trying as hard. Right. Right? Like just right. like fill in with, you know, assumptions and, you know, mm-hmm. bad things. Right. Um, what I wanted to demonstrate was the space between each group and where we want them to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which allows for, I think just a much more nuanced conversation and actually think about each, each group individually and what might be their, their strengths and their barriers. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the one graph where they're all together is what is the, I mean, depending on the context, right? What is the highest group or the lowest group? And is that the, the baseline? That's the goal. And that sort of yeah. centers, in this case, centers the, the white students who score the highest. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I wonder then to take it a, a next step when you think about, let's say there's four groups. How do you think about ordering or aligning those four next charts? Um, oh, that is a really good question, which I did not think about in the <laughs> first iteration. Um, and I, I think the best answer I have, like at this point, is probably alphabetically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I don't know, Eli, you have any thoughts on this, but this to me is like one of the big challenges. So the the ordering effect, I, I think, is, is definitely important. And I think if you can start with... Uh, so the, the, the context for me is I've, I've done this in, in reports where there are just multiple, multiple kind of uh, different different cuts of, of data involving uh, race or gender or things like that. And so if, if you can establish that uh, early on, all these groups are, are ordered alphabetically and that's just kind of the rule across the board, mm-hmm. um, you've at least like established like here's, here's the reason for it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always work. Uh, so there, there will be cases where uh, where it does have like a centering effect where, where just it doesn't feel good to have certain groups kind of like at, at the top or at the bottom. Yeah. Um, and so like I've for stuff like that, I've never been shy about like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to reorder it so that the, the group that needs the most attention or the group that's most relevant to this conversation uh, is is kind of front and center. Yeah. Um, but I, I do want to uh, 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 Push back or, or, or dive into the the question of, of separate charts versus uh, yeah. same charts, mm-hmm. um, and and we can we can get to that in a second. But uh, I I, th- I think there's uh, there's there's a little more uh, maybe nuance there that, that that's kind of worth unpacking too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you're right. The, the thing about breaking the chart up is that the alphabetical ordering is sort of like objective, kind of you you pull away all the other stuff, and even yeah. if you order it by value. You can do that, or you know, by by you know, say magnitude, whatever it is, it's still an objective ordering, but it's not putting them all together on the same graph, so that you have this sort of competing effect. And so, I, I think for my work, it's like I'm just going to be upfront about how I've made this decision, and that's the decision. But yeah, so let so let's dive into this single versus multiple panels. Yeah, so I think the uh, to to one of uh, Peter's kind of original points around this, the the centering effect uh, is is uh, definitely a good reason to separate, and and I think the 
for the purposes of, of goal setting, uh, the, the majority group uh, will, will tend to be, can tend to act as a benchmark. And that's, that's, not, that's not always good because who's to say that, that uh, the majority group is, is the best outcome. Right. Um, and so I think those are good reasons to, to separate where you need to have, uh, you need to show different goals and, and kind of create that emphasis. Um, but the harms that come from blaming people individually or, or blaming people personally, um, these, these personal attributions, uh, at least a, a big chunk of that isn't actually, it doesn't seem to be related to uh, whether they're separate or not. It's uh, closer to the, the way that you, the way that you present it, even on the same chart. So uh, in, in the, the research that I was doing, uh, all the, all the different variations of, of charts that we tested uh, showed the outcomes on the same chart, but we, we varied the way that we, we showed them. Um, and we were able to, to even on the same chart, uh, significantly reduce the, the people's tendencies, uh, viewers' tendencies to uh, to make these kind of personal attributions, mm-hmm. which is essentially stereotyping. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that the benefit of having them in separate charts is it does uh, it, it takes emphasis away from these direct comparisons, mm-hmm. uh, which can be which can be harmful. But there's there's ways of doing that that don't require necessarily splitting it out to. to the <laughs> charts. I think for stories where where it's it's maybe high risk and you're you're worried that it could be misperceived. Um, for stuff like that, I, I, I'll lean pretty heavily into like any any trick I've got to like to water down the differences or make sure that not water down, but like to clarify the differences. Yeah, right. Um, right. I, I'll, I'll I'll do that, uh, but it doesn't. I, I don't think that it always needs to be the case that you you need to to separate if you can if you have other options to to make sure that people don't uh, kind of fool themselves into the these personal attributions. Mm-hmm. And so do you I think about uh, what, what those are, if, that, if that's helpful to you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just going to ask, like, is that a visual component in the graph itself or is it the text that you use in and around the graph or probably is going to be both? But It, it is definitely both. <laughs> um, one, one of the big takeaways is, is understanding that, that by default, a lot of people jump to uh, jump to these blaming tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this isn't like a, a new concept. This is like something that, that we all learned about in like interest, intro to psychology, like fundamental attribution error, correspondence bias, uh, just just as as people, particularly like as, as Americans or people that live in uh, individualistic or, or Western cultures, uh, we, we jump to personal blame uh, much faster than we jump to uh, uh, looking to external reasons for, for any kind of outcome or, or, or behavior. Um, and so if, if you kind of uh, take that as, as a premise uh, and, and you assume that given any chart, People will tend to uh, a lot of people will tend to explain it in terms of these personal attributions. Uh, that's that's the main thing that, that we're trying to trying to solve for, and so mm-hmm. you can solve for that in in a couple of different ways. I think the uh, the annotation layer and and the, the text around it. Um, this it, it's separate from the the research project that I was doing, but I think is actually still probably the even more of a, an important component. Um, as much as you can do to to frame it in terms of. Uh, these are the, the outcomes that you're seeing uh, uh, could likely be caused by these ex- external factors X, Y, and Z, uh, mm-hmm. or, or systemic factors X, Y, and Z. Um, a lot of a lot of research that that looks at uh, misperceptions around causality uh, show that that if you can provide people with uh, alternative explanations for what they're seeing, uh, then their, their their tendency to to jump into like uh, superstitions or, or other like kind of like false conclusions around uh, causality. Uh, diminish uh, just mm-hmm. by giving them alternative uh, explanations, and so uh, uh, annotation layer and, and titles are a, a great place, I think, to do that. Yeah. Um, and then within the charts themselves, uh, what we found was that it, it has a lot to do with with showing variability. 
the, the charts that, that tend to be the most problematic are charts like uh, bar charts or dot plots or, or uh, even confidence intervals. Uh, these are all charts that uh, really emphasize the average group outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they tend to, they, they don't show anything about kind of the variability of outcomes uh, w- within a certain group. And so for something that's, that's as loosely defined as, as race, for example, uh, you, you will almost like always have uh, a lot of people that, uh, so if you're looking at something like earnings for race, you'll always have a lot of, a lot of people in any group that, that earn very little, and you'll always have a lot of people in any group that, that earn a whole lot, even if the, the average outcomes for those groups are, are different. Um, and so if you, if you show the, uh, by showing the variability uh, of those outcomes and, and making sure that it's, it's clear, using something like a jitter plot or a, a prediction interval, um, you, you can help people see that, that there is not only a lot of differences kind of like within groups, but that the, the differences between groups aren't actually as, as pronounced as, as something like a bar chart makes it seem like. And right. so it becomes much more obvious that uh, something like race is, is not a good predictor of, of, uh, of, of outcomes or something like income. Um, because you can see that uh, how much variation there is uh, within any given group for whatever that outcome is. Right. So I'm curious then, PETA, in the folks that you work with who are probably, I would guess, are generally more accustomed to line charts, bar charts, pie charts, mm-hmm. like that world. Like, have you had experience of telling people like, yeah, let's try a jitter plot or a bee swarm chart or, you know, or something like this. And like, what is their reaction, you know, with this framing of, you know, because we're trying to do this, like, what is their reaction to stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, and I think, um, I I think because Eli does even more of this work, he's gotten even more pushback, but Uh yeah, definitely. People are like, oh, but this is just how we've always looked at it. Right. This is, (laughs) these are the charts that people know how to read. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and, and, and my, you know, my, my data visualization work is not as sophisticated as some people. Um, but yeah, I get tons of, of pushback on, you know, just like basic improvements. But it's, it's interesting because I'm guessing that you're talking to your clients or partners and you're yeah. saying, we want to take this more, uh, you know, th- this different framework where we're not, you know, ranking or implying or, or this or that. And so here's an alternative to that. But I'm guessing they're still pushing back. Um, yeah. And they probably agree with you on the framing piece, but they're still pushing back because, well, it's a bar chart, right? It, like, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, is, yeah. Yeah, this is what we know how to do. Yeah. Um, I think Eli early on came across a much more interesting objection. Yeah, this is exactly how we first started talking. Yeah, the level of, of objection that, that I've gotten is just, oh, this is what we're used to. You know, can't yeah. it all be pie charts? This is yes. this is what we know how to read. <laughs> right. Um, the, the objection that Eli came across, which I think is way, way more interesting and important, is, oh, but everybody knows, right? Like, mm. we're we just need to point out the disparity because everybody who reads our chart knows that disparities are caused by structural racism. Mm. That's a really interesting problem because the answer is no, you can't, you can never assume that your chart is only going to be read by people who read charts or visualizations from the same perspective that you do. Right. And so part of this is like sending your, your work out into the world in, in a way that is complete, right? In a way mm-hmm. that kind of guards against um, those kinds of readings. Yeah. Um, I, I'm also curious, we've been talking about race and ethnicity, and that was sort of the grounding of the, of the posts. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you've done any thinking about 
other characteristics. Yeah. I mean, you know, internationally, it's certainly like ranking of, mm-hmm. you know, lower developed countries versus developing versus developed. There's issues yeah. around gender and sexuality and all these things. So have you thought specifically about these other groups or is it sort of right now your thinking is kind of evolving to, to spread out? Um, I think it applies to anything where you have groups of people and there could be stereotypes about those people. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, I've been thinking about road safety, right. And vision (laughs) zero, right. Which a lot of cities have a target of having zero road deaths. Mm -hmm. Um, does this apply? Like, do we need targeted approaches for pedestrians, uh, people with physical disabilities, cyclists, drivers, Mm. Are there stereotypes about cyclists, <laughs> you know, or scooter <laughs> users? Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, um, the, yeah, the, I, I think any anything where you think, oh, in the absence of data, people are gonna like. There's a story mm-hmm. that fits in here, right? Yeah. The, the the driving one and the the road safety one is is one that I've I've started noticing a lot recently. Like, so now now that I I kind of have a. a clear understanding of, of how pervasive this the, the personal attribution bias really is like i yeah. see it everywhere and i can't unsee it and it, 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 <laughs> uh, yes. uh, it, it no. kind of drives me crazy in that way but it's also like it, it's it's pretty eye-opening and and mm-hmm. i think one of the one of the topics that is is just like uh full of of, of victim blaming is is uh, road safety yeah. Uh, so there was uh, there was an infographic that came out like a few years ago around like uh, relating driving time to obesity, mm-hmm. um, and I think the the uh, the title on on the infographic was "Driving is making you fat," mm-hmm. um, but like in in reality, like it, it's not in in the United States outside of maybe like three or four cities, you don't have a choice but to drive. Like it's right. not it's not the driving that's doing it. It's not yeah. your your personal choice. It's it's like years and years of uh, suburban sprawl and, yep. and years right. and years of, of kind of like transportation policy that, that force you into cars. Mm-hmm. And that's also probably got something to do with the, with the cost of housing that's proximate to your workplace, which makes cycling to work not a feasible choice, right? And that your lower income status is also influencing your access to outdoor space and healthy food, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I wanted to finish up by asking what you think folks in the data viz field, and, I, and I'm pausing here, I'm just thinking for a moment because um, uh, I'm saying data viz field, but I think it's actually broader than that. So I'm yeah, going to stick with data viz field, but I think it's broader than that. But so let me just say people then. People who write about numbers sometimes. Yeah, right. What do you think people who write about numbers <laughs> and, and their organizations? Because I think mm-hmm. I think that's the other piece that it could be, you know, really, for example, Pete, I mean, I think right. I think your experience is probably like, like the prime example. You could be all about trying these other methods and pushing your clients. And you can imagine in an organization having the same pushback that you're getting. Well, we always make bar charts and that's it. But so, so what do you think people should do? What is their first step to put the lessons in, in the stuff that you're talking about and writing about what what should their first step be to put this into place? You know, I think we do not think enough about how things like data visualization should fit with, the overall philosophy and guiding principles of our organizations, right? We, um, I think one, we assume that like charts are just neutral and 
that like they're numbers, so they must be true. <laughs> and, yeah. and however they come out of your software is fine. Um, we, we never think like if our organization has these beliefs and tenets about how we operate and how we treat people, um, we, I think a lot of organizations recently are starting to think like, well, that has effects for what words we use, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how we write about people in text. Well, the next step is how then does it affect how you write about people in charts and graphs, right? Um, I don't have an answer for you, but only to say like that is a conversation to start having in your organization, to start thinking about like this, this matters in the same way we could do harm with our words or be more careful and thoughtful with our words. We can do it with data visualizations too. Yeah. Eli, any thoughts on this? Yeah. Getting started I mean, piece. So I, I think there's, there's two things. So one is, and, and you've kind of hinted at this, uh, you can, you can maybe expect pushback on like, like what is a jitter plot? Uh, and, and, and a lot of that I think stems from this false notion of, of like, we need simplicity. We need it to be as, as kind of like, uh, simplistic as possible to reach a wide audience. And, and I think that's, that's a false trade-off. I think you can, uh, with the right designs, you can, you can still get the, the message across. Um, but what what you need to remember is that that uh, with with these more simplistic designs, you're 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 creating awareness, but you're not you're not necessarily creating awareness around the right thing. Mm. Um, so if it, it, it's not enough to like to teach the whole world that there are these these wide disparities between different groups, uh, the the actual goal is much closer to we need to to teach that these disparities exist because of of uh, these external factors, because of these systemic factors, um, and so so it's you, you can kind of fool yourself into, into thinking that, that uh, something like a bar chart is better because it'll reach a wider audience. Um, and, and maybe it will, but is it, is it reaching the, the audience with a message that, that will actually help solve the problem uh, or, or, or not? And right. the, the other one uh, is more, more targeted towards, towards uh, designers and, and people that, that do this in general is uh, I, I mentioned this before, but, but realizing how, how, deeply embedded this concept of like personal responsibility is within uh, just kind of the, the American mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it creates this trap when you're exploring data or you're, you're trying to figure out like what, what causes these outcome differences. And, and it, it kind of tricks your brain into to, to stopping at, at, at answers that, that just aren't as enlightening or compelling or, or interesting. Much bigger thing is, is going to be some, typically some, some external factor and yeah. so if you stop yourself uh, from, from this habit of uh, immediately jumping to blame and, and stopping at blame and, and, and look like, and just ask yourself like, okay, what are the external factors? What are the systemic factors? You'll get to much richer answers. You'll mm-hmm. get to much more interesting answers and, and much more enlightening answers, I think, for, for you and your, your audiences. Yeah. And, and that, that I think is, uh, would be my, my main ask for, for uh, anybody communicating numbers is, is, think about the external factors, try to make sure that your, your audience is thinking about the external factors. And I think for so many years, like we've looked at these disparity charts for right. years and years. We yeah. have not solved the disparities yet. So right. Right. that's probably so not, to do. Yeah. yeah, right. That's probably not the most useful visualization. I think, you know, Eli, your point, but like, how do we, how do we set up these visualizations to help us really think deeply like in, in much more creative ways mm-hmm. about these issues is, I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, terrific. Uh, Peter, Eli, thanks so much uh, for this conversation and the work. Uh, I look forward to seeing 
where you go with it. <laughs> there's a lot more to do, I'm sure. There's, there's a lot more to do. I mean, yeah. this is yeah. this is really this is really just the beginning of a conversation, yep. and we're inviting everybody to join in. That's great. Um, well, I'll link to all the blog posts and everything on the show notes so people should check them out. Um, but yeah, thanks to both of you for coming on the show. Really appreciate uh, the, the chat. John, thank you very much for having us. So much, John. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that. Maybe learned a little bit, thought about some strategies you might like to implement in your work, in your visualizations, in your data analysis. Uh, and be sure to check out all the links in the episode notes page. There's a bunch of papers and blog posts there. I hope you'll check them out. If you want to learn more about this, you should check out some of the resources at the Urban Institute website. Lots of different toolkits and other things that you can use in your own work. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A whole team helps bring you the Policy Viz Podcast. Intro and outro music is provided by the NRIs, a band based here in Northern Virginia. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsuki Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy of This podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. But if you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Winnow app, PayPal page, or Patreon page, all linked and available at policyviz.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 